Welcome to the Michael Paris Podcast. Welcome to 1150 AM KKNW Alternative Talk on Seattle Radio. Today's guest is Rob Rez Resnick. Rob is one half of the American electropop duo Time Flies. He is currently working on Taproom, an app to recreate the bar experience online, and two other music projects, Molly Pardon Country House and Yippie Cult Electronic. Since 2010, Time Flies has built an ardent following, amassing diehard supporters online while selling out concert venues across the United States. To date, Time Flies has sold over 150,000 albums and 800,000 singles, with over a half a billion streams worldwide. Rez was the brains behind all of Time Flies' productions. Their album, After Hours, debuted at number 8 on the Billboard Top 200 and went to number 1 on iTunes, Top Pop, Top Pop Albums Chart. They've landed high-profile music placements in films like About Last Night, My Big Fat Creek Wedding 2, and have been featured on the MLB, NBC, Red Bull, American Idol, and more. And their appearances don't stop there. They've hit the stage at Good Morning America and have been featured on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Time Flies has been dubbed Musical Masterminds by Vanity Fair. Rob has worked with artists like Mike Posner, T-Pain, Justin Tranter, John Bellion, J.R. Rotem, Martin Johnson, Felix Snow, Said the Sky, Shy Martin, and more. Rob Resnick, welcome to the show, buddy. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. So first question is, when did you discover your passion for music? And was making music always a part of your bigger plan? Yeah, I would say my passion for music probably started in around second grade. I mean, I'm sure I was into music before that, but... Uh... My mom put me in piano lessons and I really liked it. I had a really sweet piano teacher, Anna Katz Nelson, who it was classical for, for the first three years. And I don't know, she was just a great teacher and I, I hated practicing, but I loved playing. And from then on, I just realized I was much better at that than sports. So I had to focus on that as a younger kid, I guess. And then I realized I could be in bands and those bands got more serious. And then, yeah, it kind of went from there. Yeah, so what I do know is that you studied philosophy in college. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how did, how did that come? How come you didn't choose to study music? Well, I actually went to school for electrical engineering. Um, oh, wow. And when I was applying to schools like that was what I was looking at was only electrical engineering programs. But a few schools had music programs too. And like, you know, some of them you could cross over. Um, so I ended up picking Tufts because I thought that they had the best, you know, ability for me to do some liberal arts stuff while still focused on engineering. Mm -hmm. Anyway, after a year of that, which I was like really good at math in high school, I loved math. As soon as I got to college math, I realized it was way too hard <laughs> um, and said, I'm good on this. You know, Diffy Q is where I was tapping out. So I was like, what else can I do? I really like philosophy. And, you know, talking about mostly metaphysics, but that sort of stuff. So I decided to switch to that. And then after a semester, I was like, I should do music too. I guess I'm good at that. So I ended up double majoring in, in those two. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. And I always look at math and philosophy as being one of the same. You know, math essentially is a subset of 100%. philosophy. But yeah. Exactly. And it was, it was a lot easier than doing like the actual, you know, physics side of things, which again is just the math. So I get to like kind of talk about the same stuff, but, um, you know, conjecturing the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. And, you know, as someone who has listened to you and was a big fan of your music, I've always wondered and always wanted to ask you this question. But how did Time Flies come to fruition? And tell me about how you and Cal met. Yeah, so um, we were in the same fraternity. Uh, and as a freshman, I guess this was actually probably before I like pledged. I hate now talking about frats feels very dirty. Um, but I was at the like house where everyone lived and we were having a party and 
uh, there was like a little freestyle like cipher, I guess it's called, going on. And I think, I believe I was playing drums. Cal seems to remember that I was beatboxing, but I, I don't think he's right. I wish we had the tape to check. And he was in the circle and, you know, two guys were going and they were really bad. And it was like, you know, you got a bop and I got a top and here we go shop. And it was like really terrible. And then Cal came in and was great. And I, at the time, had already started a funk band with my friends uh, that was, you know, performing, you know, small shows. And we said, we need a singer. We thought we were going to be instrumental, but you're phenomenal. Why don't you join the funk band? And a year later, after we had, you know, won a bunch of like battle the band stuff with the funk band, Cal and I were just on a not different level in terms of like music ability. Actually, those kids were incredible, but just like on a different sort of plane of what we wanted to be working on musically um, and decided to start our own kind of side thing and call it time flies. Yeah. And then so I imagine after you put your first few uh, edits online, you were probably really surprised by the response you got on YouTube. We were shocked. Yeah, um, YouTube was unbelievable, and and iTunes that early iTunes support was was unbelievable and really shocking. Um, so yeah, can't can't really uh, be too upset about how things worked out. Yeah, so Timefly sold over one hundred fifty thousand albums and eight hundred thousand singles. Uh, you combined your audio between YouTube with one hundred seventy five million views and two hundred sixty million Spotify view streams worldwide. <laughs> um, did you ever expect to have this much of an impact to those around you? And you know, looking back as a kid, you know, would you say that this experience changed you as a person? Um, yeah, I mean, yes and no. Obviously, I think there's, you know, some aspect of fame or whatever you want to call it that, you know, shifts the way that you think about the world and, and mm -hmm. you know, puts me in a much more like almost materialistic place where it's like, oh, I need leather jackets and all sorts of that, you know, stuff. <laughs> um, at the same time, like, you know, no, I don't know. I think I still interact the same way with my friends. And I think they would say, they would say I've been an asshole since the beginning. So, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think it really changes your personality too much. Um, it does. As an entrepreneur, I imagine it must have. I think what it's really done for me there is that once you realize that you can reach success, it feels, you know, much closer and more tangible in the next things that you start. So, I mean, I think now, like, I'm just, oh, I've done this before, I can do it again. Whereas some people are like, you know, how, how can I possibly imagine getting on the, you know, charts of iTunes or whatever? And it's like, you just got to do it and then it will work. Right. And obviously, that's a lot easier to say now from the position I'm in. Um, but I do really believe that. Yeah, of course, because the journey to anything successful is long and tedious and takes grit and stubbornness. And when you have confidence that yeah. you've done it before, it makes it much easier to weather the process. I agree with you entirely. And, you know, for other for those who are working really hard to build up their music career, what advice would you possibly give to them? First of all, I would say ignore everyone who gives you advice. <laughs> so whatever I'm about to say, even though I think it's good advice, you know, people I show people songs you know, and they say, oh, I think you should do this, do that, do this. And as I'm getting older and depending on who I'm working with, I just kind of do those notes at this point because it's like, oh, you want the chorus to be double the length? Let's just try it. You might as well just try everything. And, and you know, the more you're collaborating, the better things will end up being. That said, when I was starting out, I think stubborn is what makes you unique. And if you really believe that what the way you're doing things is going to work, eventually it kind of will, I think. You know, there's a lot of songs I hear where I'm like, oh, I don't really know what they're doing. And then a year later, everything sounds like that. And you're like, wow, like that guy just really believed that what he was doing was unique and different. And then he became a leader as opposed to just being another follower. So ignore all advice. That said, watch so many YouTube videos. Like we're in an, a day and age where like, it's so easy to learn. And and I don't even, you know, I have masterclass and, and obviously YouTube and those things, but I'm sure there are even 
a thousand other websites that have producer classes and great content and like any place you can watch somebody do something better than you, you should. I'm not particularly, you know, yes, I know all of the buttons on Serum and I'm really good at, you know, Ableton, whatever, but there are just nerdier guys out there doing cooler, more innovative things. And, you know, two days ago, Serum came out with an update where you can now attach, this is all really super specific, but you can attach LFOs to LFOs. And it's like a whole new world now for geeks basically to go in and turn more knobs. And like, I need to now learn all that. So I'm going to watch a bunch of tutorials and I'm going to learn it. And it's, it's funny when producers like reach out to me on Instagram, like, you know, what's your advice for me to get better? How do I sidechain a kick? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. Ask YouTube, you know? <laughs> yeah. From what it sounds like what you're telling me, Rob, is that you might not necessarily be at the elite for technical and engineering expertise when it comes to music, but what you have is something original and unique that comes from you. And that's maybe why you stand out as opposed to everyone else. There's a really good um, Benny Blanco article from, I don't know, 10 years ago at this point, probably, but in the New York Times, where he said that he's not very good at anything. He's just really good at looking around the room, seeing what everyone else is good at, and then doing the part that they can't so that everyone can kind of be focused on what they're good at. And I like, I love that quote. I, I like granted, that too. I probably do too much and try to be the best at everything in the room sometimes. And that's, you know, not necessarily a good thing. Um, but I think if you can apply that to, you know, like almost your own thinking and like, what am I not good at? Like, let me, you know, let somebody else teach me how to do that as opposed to trying to figure it out. Um, that's, you know, the way to be successful. Love it. Love it. And to be more specific, what kind of character traits do you find essential for success? And how did you go about honing those skills? So yeah, on, on the note we were kind of just talking about, I think being able to know when to delegate work and when to just do it yourself. And some days, you know, I'm really good at that balance and know when to call a friend who's better than me and more talented and, uh, you know, and, and know when to just say, I'm going to learn Premiere today and figure out how to edit video. Mm -hmm. Other days, I probably waste hours and hours and hours learning Premiere when I should just ask a friend who's a video editor how to do it. Um, and I think... Some days it really pays off and some days it doesn't. Yeah. So like knowing when to do it yourself and when not to is really important. A lot of people, you know, waste a lot of time trying to learn things when like that's available on Fiverr. Just spend $5. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Save yourself three hours and then, you know, do those three hours put towards what you actually should be working on music or whatever. Um, and on the flip side, you know, do the opposite. I also think as we talked about just being insanely, you know, optimistic about your own success and future and just like believe, believe, believe in yourself. And that's, you know, some days again, really hard. Um, but you just gotta, you know, I remember I had an idea years ago, um, for some stupid release that we didn't even do for time plus. And my manager, I, I remember this to this day was like, what do you think you're Kanye? And <laughs> we obviously didn't do that idea cause it was way too, you know, ambitious. Um, but I'm, I was upset about that for years because I was like, yes, I do. You know, not, I believe I'm necessarily as talented as Kanye. I think he's a genius. Also maybe a psychopath, but I, I wish we had done that idea. You know, maybe it would have been hard to pull off expensive. I don't know, but it would have been really cool. And like, I want to do more of those types of things in life. And, you know, obviously if you have the money and stuff is, you know, a big question, but if you can do cool things, you got to shoot your shots because believe in your, in your craft. And lastly, and this was our, you know, Ray Kurzweil uh, moment for the day, but is solve tomorrow's problems with tomorrow's tools. So like if you're thinking about how to solve a problem today, you're in trouble. And if you're trying to do it with today's tools, you're in trouble. So, you know, I think it's always important to think about what's the world going to be like in two years, five years, 10 years. And like, how do I be successful there? Yeah. Um, 
And that's just about, I think, being a geek, you know? <laughs> I agree. And it sounds like you're a big fan of Ray. We were speaking earlier, too, and, and you mentioned him. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually find him fascinating. You know, I think that uh, he, he sounds a little crazy to the people who are very rigid in terms of sticking with the status quo. But, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of scientists who predict the future usually have radical thoughts. You just need to have the right radical thoughts. And, you know, I think he's onto something. I think some of the – some, and he would probably admit this. Some of his uh, – hopes i want to even call them about they're not even beliefs but like hopes about his life expectancy and how we're gonna be able to resurrect dead people's consciousness you know that's all like on the verge of religious to me and like a little scary but if you look at his stuff about like just general you know exponential growth and being able to predict certain trends like that stuff is just math and like it's hard to argue with you know so yeah he has done a very good job on past predictions but i will say this rob you know you're speaking to the perfect person to talk about biological aging because (laughs) my background is mathematics and computer science and i've taken a complete 180 to study biomedical engineering precisely because i'm very passionate about understanding human aging and i want to dedicate the rest of my life to doing research in that right so in fact, when it comes to race perspective on that, I am strongly consistent with him. And I do think that aging is a problem that should be solved just like everything else. I super, I agree with that. And I also, I think I would agree with, you know, that if you look at life expectancy and you look at all that, like you can map it out and graph, you know, whatever and, and have trends. But I find some of the stuff about like, not even uh, like ethically, but more like, I don't believe that we're going to be able to take dead people and memories and somehow reverse engineer that back into a person yeah so that's a very difficult process yeah but avoiding cell senescence and avoiding cells from dying and reversing the clock while you're alive we do that every day i mean what's i mean that's why we run and that's why we eat healthier it's kind of like we're dealing with the symptoms instead of the root cause and i i think it was ray kurzweiler himself who said this is that uh are you crazy to look at looking at uh he he classifies aging as something called telomere shortening disease Mm -hmm. so he classifies the aging process as being an actual disease and i think uh, i think it was a doctor went over to him and said do you actually really really think that's a realistic assessment and he goes when we cure it you you'll understand (laughs) no i i agree with that and also i remember i mean i was a lot more optimistic about this i think in my earlier 20s which is like a classic old person thing to say but i remember saying to my friends that ray kurzweil says if you're under 40 right now you'll live forever because you're like in the curve and yeah i think that's a little optimistic i hope he's right like you know don't get me wrong you know here's the thing rob you know you got to put these thoughts into perspective if you go back just 20 years you know your ipod was the coolest thing it plays music and now it's like by the way you know your ipod plays music it does literally everything else and to even push out in more of a macro scale here if i were to tell you just 200 years ago that we have these boxes that go across the world in a few hours or that you have these tiny things in your hands that allow you to converse instantaneously with someone else around the world even the craziest people of the time, the witches will tell you, man, you are nuts, right? And every time we get a text message, we're not blown away. This is a completely natural part of our life. That time frame is getting smaller and smaller as technology is, is advancing exponentially. So it's becoming very, and that's, I think that's one of the premises of Ray himself is that he's saying that we're going to reach a moment of the singularity where our ability to perceive and our ability to calculate where the progression of technology is going is going to be completely out of our control. So I agree from this frame of reference, it's very hard for us to see that as being realistic. But I actually think that 
we're going to progress so quickly in the next 50 years that it's things that are going to come to fruition that we could never imagine possible. So I, first of all, 100% agree. I second of all, would just say that anything that I'm about to say is only because I love discussing and arguing and I yes, probably you're agree on the, with you. You're on the opposite end of the argument. Side, I would do it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That said, I wonder, and not to Ray Kurzweil, Ray Kurzweil, but if is taking my aging, pathetic body and trying to save it really what actually is going to be the way that, you know, we do things in a hundred years. Like exactly. Maybe I'm just going to move into a new body every two months when I want to, or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't even know if, if aging is the important problem, if we can transfer consciousness or, you know, whatever. You're a hundred percent right, Rob. The question, we might be wasting our time by trying to perfect biological systems, right? Right. Right. We, you know, this is where the conversation of cyborgism comes into play, where right. we're much better off building electronical systems that are fault tolerant, that can deal with all sorts of extreme conditions, mm -hmm. electronical hearts, mm -hmm. you know, and, and eventually we can start replacing organs with optimal systems. And you can even look at a bird, for example, right? That's exactly what engineering is, or that's exactly where the benefits of science come into play is when we start to think abstractly. We look at a bird, you know, we understand the bird has the least ideal situations in which its environment allowed it to flourish. We look at a bird, we understand its mechanics, we strip out everything that's important, we look at it abstractly, and we rebuild a system that goes to other planets. Right. Yeah. And I think we should look at our body as the same way. We need to understand where it's the parts that benefit us, look at it abstractly, and then rebuild those systems with ideal materials. And I think once we head into that uh, forefront of science, I think, you know, living for 500 years, there might be people alive today that very likely will reach the 500 year threshold. But it's really, really too soon to tell. Um, it's all fascinating stuff, really. And wow, we completely went off topic. But uh, hey, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but the, yeah, these are, these are the things that I wish that I was thinking about and solving. Um, right. And, and are just like, you know, it's, uh, I'm jealous of the people who get to wake up and say this is their job really incredible yeah unfortunately these kind of things are, are usually stuck with researchers who don't get paid millions and billions and people taking an, an influence on instagram make 10 times more but hey man that's just yeah. how it works <laughs> uh, yeah so so actually to touch base here you know i really do admire your work ethic rob because you always are hungry for knowledge and as someone who's had success in music uh, i know that we've talked in the early onsets of your development of an app uh, called Tap Room, and here we are. Yeah, I think it was like a year later. So I'm in Portland now. We first started talking when I first arrived in Portland, and tell us about your app Tap Room and what's up with it. So when we first started talking, I had sort of barely scratched the surface of even understanding how apps work. I had this completely different idea. Um, you know, I was really excited to sort of just be more in this space because, as you could probably tell, I'm passionate about this stuff. And I worked on it with a, a few friends, and it was you know a slow moving process. About a month ago, or a little more now, probably two months ago, two and a half months ago, um, when you know quarantine with COVID, all that started really getting serious. Uh, you know, as Cardi B uh, let us know, I realized that there was a huge opportunity here. I had a friend call me and say, "I wish we could go to bars," uh, and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, we can, you know, go on Facetime and, and drink." And this is a single guy, and he was like, "Yeah, but there's no girls there," and I was like. <laughs> God, you're brilliant. You're an idiot and, you know, a little sad, but but brilliant. Um, so I immediately hung up on that guy, called a few of my friends and said, how can we do this? Um, and then also immediately realized that it was, if I wanted to do it in time, I was going to have to, you know, have a more serious team. Thankfully, another one of my friends runs a development team. Um, and about a month later, and, and a lot of hard work, both from my end, but also really from their end, uh, we've launched and we're in the app store and it's like the most exciting thing ever, uh, you know, like overjoyed. And I feel like, you know, I made it. And obviously we have 
you know, at this point, a tiny amount of users and we're, we have a million features to build. Um, but I think we're on the cusp of something really big. And so I'm really excited. But Rob, I have a question for you, man. You yeah. launched during COVID. Why? <laughs> oh, man, it was really hard. And honestly, I love Apple and I am an Apple fanboy and especially a Steve Jobs fanboy. But they it's hard to get into the App Store. Oh, they're it's, crazy. It's really it's hard crazy. right now. It's hell. Yeah. Um, it was not a good process. Yeah. But even the whole, whole premise of your app is, is social interacting. And I just wondered when you, when I, when you told me, Hey Mike, I just launched the app and I'm like, Hey dude, it's COVID people probably aren't going to be able to use this app. Um, but it was probably like a cost benefit kind of calculation. When should you launch it? So, so the app as it stands right now, which, you know, obviously, uh, everyone who's listening to this should download it. Cause I've been having actually a really great time. You go online and you see online since like a 1940s. Um, you go onto the app and you see a list of bars uh, in a map view right now. So you're able to sort of move around like you would in Google Maps. And then every bar has a chat room. And so you can go into these chat rooms and then other people are at the bar. Um, and it's like pretty much just like going out, except for obviously you're sitting on your couch on your phone. But so, you know, two nights ago, I was in Cabo talking to a bunch of random girls that I don't know. And they were like, you know, smoking and drinking in their house and, you know, wherever they were. Last night, a bunch of my friends and I went out in Canada. Um, then we decided to go to New York to Soho House for a while, meet some people there. Uh, you know, I met a bunch of random dudes from upstate New York who popped in for a little while. Like, it's, it's almost like more social and fun um, than just chatting with your friends on, you know, WhatsApp or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, not as weird or anything as chat roulette. And it's still like very, you know, controlled and, and normal. Um, so it's been just like really fun. And especially, you know, I'm sitting at home watching a lot of Netflix and those things are great. But at some point you want social interaction. Of course. And yeah, so these apps can either keep you isolated or they can really help affect your social life and influence it. And for me, using apps like Bumble Biz has been just tremendous for networking. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, we're also thinking at some point it would be great to sort of differentiate the bars into having some bars that are singles bars, having some bars that are game bars and then having some that are just networking bars where, you know, maybe you go in and everyone has like a digital name tag on and it says their job and, you know, or whatever. And you can say, oh, I'm in that you know industry too. Let's talk about it. So I think, you know, just like in real life. Yeah. Even sometimes meeting someone in the premise of business is the best way to make strong relationships as opposed to exactly. heading forward on a dating app, just strictly thinking of dating. Agreed. And I think, you know, I think people, I at least really enjoy um, talking to you know, potential future mates, it, like face to face and asking them questions as opposed to just swiping. Yes, I find you attractive. So I think, you know, there's a huge future here for especially like if you're out at a bar and, you know, you're it's the end of the night, you have to go home, but you still want to talk to people like Tinder is not the way to do that. Um, and if there was an online bar where you could go on and, and not in like a, you know, back page kind of way, um, but more in like a real physical space that's online. Um, I think that would be like a really fun way to, you know, sort of use the internet to help the social world and not destroy it. That's honestly awesome, Rob. And, you know, it, just seeing how you're progressing from music to heading into the entrepreneurship space of tech and all that good stuff. I do wonder, do you have a five-year plan and, and like, where would you see yourself in five years? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I have realized about myself that I really enjoy being stressed. So I have a feeling I will just solve this problem in some way and, and get stressed about something else. Um, and, you know, no matter how big this app gets or doesn't, like in five years, I will be stressed about something and I'm really excited to find out what that is. I hope that it's much bigger problems. Um, and on that note, I really hope, you know, I think what life is about is surrounding yourself with great people. And I've been really lucky in the music space to 
meet some really, really talented people and, and almost more importantly, really hardworking people. I hope that I can do the same in the tech space and just in the world in general. And I want to have more friends that like talking about Ray Kurzweil and you know, like discussing the future of you know the universe um, as opposed to you know what we should get to drink tonight. Um, granted, both of those are important questions. Yeah. Um, but you know, so one of my greatest idols is, is Sam Harris. He has a podcast called mm-hmm. Waking. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he, he changed it. It's called Making Sense with Sam Harris now. Uh, if you like talking about AI and quantum mechanics and all the stuff that's coming to life in the coming years, I highly recommend you listen to that podcast. He, he blow your mind. Yeah, hundred percent. I will. Awesome. And this is only supposed to be a fourteen minute episode, Rob, but I think this went really well. So we're hitting the twenty. We crushed it. Yeah, we're doing the twenty eight minute block. So it's going to be a full two episode section <laughs> on the newscast. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And um, so, tell us where people can find you online, and yeah, just plug yourself. I have 3 million uh, different accounts. So on Instagram, I'm at res. I then have two uh, electronic music projects. One is at Molly Parton and at Yuppie Cult, Y-U-P-P-Y, Yuppie Cult. Um, And then taproom.app for everything, website, Instagram, all that stuff. Um, And go download Taproom on the App Store. Awesome. Rob, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all of best in all your future endeavors and i will definitely be keeping in touch with you buddy awesome thank you man yeah this was a great talk and i'm excited to hopefully talk again soon yes we should definitely do this again have a good one and stay safe you too